on the last couple weeks, uh, what we've been doing is uh, a, a series entitled Entrusted Up Until the Last Couple Weeks. We had a couple guest speakers here, and uh, if you really loved those guys, <laughs> sorry, uh, they'll maybe, maybe in a year, I don't know, <laughs> you'll see them again, but uh, I'm glad to be back here with you and uh, share a little bit about what's going on with my family here in a couple moments. But let's just pray and ask God to speak to us through his word and uh, just thank him for his presence in this place. Father, uh, we come before you and uh, we're grateful that uh, you've created us, and uh, you have created us for a purpose, and you created us for your glory, and I pray that we would glorify you, not just in an hour that we meet together on Sunday morning, but in the 167 other hours that we have during the week, Father, I pray that our lives would be laid before you, that we'd be living sacrifices, Father, and I come before you, and I pray that as we come to your word, we wouldn't, wouldn't come proud, we wouldn't come lukewarm, we wouldn't come thinking that we're rich and have it all together and that, and that we know all these things and if everybody else would just live this stuff out but God we come before you poor and blind and we lay bare before you and we're humble and we ask you to please speak to our hearts we submit our hearts to you and we ask you to, to use it as a, a fruitful time as we plant these seeds in our hearts that you would produce a harvest that it's a hundred times what it is that's planted today through my words and through your words in Jesus name I pray amen well, it really is great to be back up here. I was just telling Jason, it's, I think it's the longest break that I've taken since we've launched the church, and uh, it's kind of exciting to be standing here thinking about opening up God's Word in a couple moments. For those of you who haven't been around, maybe just started attending a couple weeks ago, the reason why uh, I'm taking a little break here is that about, oh, August 1st, however many days ago that is, everything's a blur, <laughs> uh, how many days ago that is, we welcomed into our family the sixth member of the Lear family, Gracie Bell Lear, and uh, yeah, there's a picture of her Set at that point, yeah, way to go, Gracie, you made it. Uh, six pounds, 12 ounces of cuteness you have sitting right there. And uh, so one of the things I've noticed and just making observations of our family and thinking about coming back into the pulpit is that we're all in a pursuit of something. I think about this little girl. I was talking to my wife last night about it. She constantly, she only does three things. She sleeps, she does one other thing I won't mention, and then she also eats. And basically she sleeps, she wakes up, she eats, she does the other thing, and she goes back to sleep, she wakes up, she eats. She eats about, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 12 times a day. And she only weighs about seven pounds. Isn't that amazing? I think if I ate 12 times a day and then slept in between every meal, I'd gain seven pounds in a day. And then if you're like me, it takes about like seven months to lose it again, but I'd gain all this weight. But she's on this constant pursuit of food. And I thought about myself as knowing that she was coming, and this being not our first time on the rodeo, it's our fourth child, uh, knowing that the sleep was going to be a little different and all that kind of stuff once she arrived, I started planning for the sleep time. And I came on this pursuit of sleep. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had a child and husbands, you know what I'm talking about, or if you've ever maybe stayed with someone in the hospital before, you know that they have sleeping accommodations even for you as a guest, but they're not quite the same as the person who just had surgery, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, I don't know why they would do that, but they're not. And so my wife, she's got, just had a human taken from her body, but she's got this bed uh, that's electric and got a remote control for the TV, got all this stuff, real nice, saw people coming and caring for every need. And, and they've got over in the corner of this chair that I'm pretty convinced is made of cement. And they upholster it, though. So if you can imagine sleeping on upholstered cement for about four days, that's, that's what I've done with the first three children. But this time, on my pursuit of sleep, I planned ahead. And, and so what happens is if you go to Harris Teeter, and I think it's if you buy like a billion gallons of milk in a year, they give you free presents, <laughs> and they feel bad for you, I guess. I don't know. But they give us stuff every once in a while, and they gave us these, this inflatable mattress where you plug it into the wall and it inflates itself. You plug it into the wall, it deflates itself. And so I brought this queen-size mattress to the hospital with me plugged it in, set it up, laid all the sheets out, and I was equipped too. Like if you've been there before, if you ever stay with someone, I don't know if it's because the workers that are on second shift don't realize, yes, it's the middle of their work day, but it's also three o'clock in the morning, but they'll come busting in, turn the lights on, how's everybody doing in here? You know, and start talking. And, and so I brought one of those blindfolds that you get on long flights, earplugs, and my wife, <laughs> yep, my wife took a picture of me, there I am at the hospital, 
And so I've been on this pursuit of sleep is what I've been going after. And then we've got, it's really the Gracie Bell's changed the dynamic of our whole family. And our three oldest daughters, they're not on a pursuit of her. And we've got a picture of them checking her out. And they love her. Okay, they don't want to hurt her, right? They're very sweet. But they don't understand their own strength. Okay, and they go out and they think she's like a living doll. And she's like, oh, sister, yeah, and I'll squeeze her, pop her head off, whatever. And they're just sque- And it's like we have to protect her from their love. And so they're on this pursuit of their sister. My wife, she's just on pursuit of relief. <laughs> just anybody that'll do anything is great. And her standards have lowered. It's, if I can do the laundry, it's awesome. <laughs> it's just scary. But anyway, don't look. But it's, it's great. And we're all in this pursuit of something in our house, I realize. If you think about it, we're all on pursuits of different things. And some of those things are great things. Some of us were short-term vision, like me right now, just a good night's rest, or I just wanted to get some kind of comfort and just be done with this week's work. And it's great just to come to church because you made it through another week, and so you're just on a pursuit of kind of getting through the grind, or, or maybe you're on a pursuit of goals that you have. Maybe you did gain seven pounds, and you're on a pursuit of a weight loss plan, or, or you're on a pursuit of financial goals or retirement goals, and it's not that those things are wrong, or maybe you're on a pursuit of another person, a relationship. But here's the question I want to ask you. And all the pursuits that we're on, pursuits of love, pursuits of comfort, pursuits of finances, journey, spiritual journey pursuits, and all kinds of different pursuits, are they the pursuits that God desires for you? Are you pursuing the pursuit that God desires for your life? And that's the question we have to wrestle with and that we'll wrestle with today as we get back into the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be in Luke chapter 18 this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to come with me to Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1. I've been doing this series entitled Entrusted really through the whole summer. We took a break for the last couple of weeks. We've seen that we've been entrusted with so many different things. And today we're going to talk about how we're on this, this pursuit. And God's entrusted us with a pursuit. But the question we have to ask is, is it the one that he's entrusted us with? Are we doing our own thing? Are we missing out on what God has for us? Because we've got a plan and we want comfort. Or we've got a plan and we want this other person. Or we've got a plan and we want something. But is that what he has for us? And the context of the passage we're looking at in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1, is really the end of Luke chapter 17. And what's happened is Jesus was just talking with some of his disciples, some of his closest friends, his buddies. And he's telling them about his second coming. <laughs> uh, that's a little strange, because this obviously happened during his first coming. And if you think about these guys, they left everything to come follow Jesus. They left their tax collector's booth, which is a very lucrative, not, not real good reputation, but very lucrative business. And they've left their fishing businesses. They left family. They've hitched their trailer on Jesus. Everything hinges upon Jesus' success, and they believe that he's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they're right. But what they think the implication of that is is that he's going to free them from Roman oppression. He's going to free them from heavy taxation. He's going to free them from the religious oppression that's taking place in their day, and partially that's true. Some of it's already, but some of it's not yet. Some of it won't happen until his second coming. And so what Jesus is explaining to them is, I'm going to die. And he's going to free them from spiritual bondage. He's going to be the king of their hearts. He's going to rule and he's going to reign in their lives and the kingdom will be within them. But a lot of that other stuff isn't going to happen until he comes back the second time. Now there's going to be a delay. Can you imagine being those 12 guys? You've left everything, hooked up with this guy. He's going to be number one. You're going to sit at his right or his left. And you, the worst case scenario is you're in the top 12, probably top 11 if you know the one guy really well. You think you're doing really well being with Jesus. And he says, I'm going to leave. You're confused. And then he tells this story, a little parable in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. So then Jesus told his disciples a parable. It's a spiritual story. It's not necessarily something that happened, but it's to illustrate something that's really true. So then Jesus told the disciples a parable, a story, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he says this, In a certain town there was a judge 
who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow, the second character in the story, in that same town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And then the Lord said, Jesus speaks again here, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so you hear you have Jesus speaking to his 12 buddies, his 12 closest followers. I'm sure they're all in a pursuit of something. And you see it and even in there, who's the greatest arguments and trying to get to Jesus. And we were following John the Baptist, now we're following you. And you see the pursuits in their lives. And then Jesus gives them this shocking information. There's going to be a second coming, obviously spoken during his first coming. And now they're probably a little confused. And you know, he tried to clear it up. He said, you know, don't worry about it. You'll know it'll be like lightning in the sky. <laughs> oh yeah, now it's so clear. I understand everything. And talks about Jonah or talks about Noah and talks about Lot, talks about all that stuff. And they're still pretty puzzled. They're confused. And then Jesus says, here's, I'm gonna, I want you to understand something. I don't want you to give up. Regardless of circumstances, I want you to keep praying, verse one. And he's talking to them while they're on this pursuit. And he tells them, here's what I want you to do. And it's like 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17 and 18. And the apostle Paul tells us, be in prayer continually, regardless of circumstances, you keep on praying. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 12. It says, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening, because what you're seeing right now seems like an incredible injustice to you because I'm leaving and I'm not going to fix all the problems this first time. But I'm going to come back. And then he tells him this story. And the story is about this woman who experiences some real injustice. And what you see is she's on this passionate pursuit of justice. That's what we should all be on. That's our first point. We should all be on a passionate pursuit of justice. All of us should be on a passionate, not just a pursuit, not just because the right thing, not just to check it off our religious list, but a passionate pursuit of justice. And so the question is, are we? Because we're all pursuing multiple things at the same time, usually. Whether it's a good night's rest or a paycheck or to get through the week or another person or whatever it is. We're all in these multiple pursuits. So are we pursuing justice? And is it a passionate pursuit? I've thought about that for myself. And I think the things I'm passionate about in life right now. I'm passionate about sleep for one time in my life. And, I'm, I, and when I heard the lockout was lifted for the NFL, it was like, ha, ha, ha. You know, like the revival broke out in my house. Passionate about this stuff. The question I have to ask myself is, am I passionate about the things that God's passionate about, though? And one of the things that God's passionate about is justice. And then you look around at the world that we live in, and there's a lot of injustice, isn't there? There's a lot of people that are dying because they don't have enough food. Do you see what's going on in Africa? With the drought that's taking place? The last I heard, it was, I think, about 30,000 people had died in Somalia. You look around, and you see rape, and you see abuse, and you see all kinds of stuff. And that's not how God designed it. That's not his heart. That's not what he desires and what he shows and illustrates here through this story is a woman who's on a passionate pursuit of justice and he's speaking to the guys he's going to entrust to further his kingdom. He wants them to get this, that you're supposed to be on this passionate pursuit of justice. And he starts off by telling this story in verse 2. He talks about this judge. Look at verse 2. There's this guy. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how some people get their job? <laughs> he's a judge. Why in the world is he a judge? He doesn't fear God. And you know that God says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So he's not the best judge ever. 
But then you also start to think about the context we're in and what judges would do and what the real law was. And remember, the Old Testament was a lot of times the governing law. And what's the summary of the Old Testament law? Love God, love your neighbor. This guy doesn't love God. He doesn't care about his neighbor. This guy's a jerk. This is the guy that cut you off on the way to church today and had a bumper sticker for a different church. (laughs) We won't go there. This is the guy that's your boss and you work a bunch of overtime, and he doesn't pay you. Just that's what you, that's what's expected of you. Of course, you're supposed to do that. Or, or this is the guy that's your landlord, and your hot water heater breaks, and he doesn't want to fix it. This is the person that cut me off at the grocery store when I was holding a newborn baby the other day. And I'm a pastor, you know, and the last shall be first, and all that stuff. And so you smile and let him go through. But you think, really? The world revolves around you. Thank you for letting me be here. But you don't say those things. Confession time. It's like group therapy for me. Thank you. <laughs> this judge is a jerk. He doesn't care about this widow? See, look at the next verse. The second character is a widow. And some of us, we know widows, and there could be some incredibly powerful widows in our world because of the rights that women have and because of the situation that they're in. Sometimes they've been given a lot of inheritance. They might have a lot of money. Uh, there's lots of different reasons why widows could be what we would consider socioeconomically, socially at the top. But that wasn't the case at all in the Bible. And it might not be a woman that you would picture at all. In fact, remember, young women would marry at the age of 13, 14 years old. This woman could be maybe 15 or 16, and she's a widow. A widow in the Scripture is a picture of hopelessness and helplessness. She doesn't have the rights. She's not heard. She doesn't have anyone to plead her case before the judge, and she just keeps coming back. Grant me justice. Well, this guy's a jerk. He's self-centered. How do you even get your case heard before a judge like this? There's got to be something in it for him because he doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about God, he's not fearing God, and he doesn't care about the people that are coming before him. And so there's only one way in this time period to get your case heard, and it was to bribe the judge. But she doesn't have any money. She's a poor widow. She's experienced some injustice, and we don't know exactly what it is, but if you look at the verse, you'll see she has an adversary. There's someone else that's doing wrong to her. It's not just the tragedy of the fact that she's lost her husband, but there's somebody that's taking advantage of that situation. So can you imagine what the injustice might be? This week when I was reading uh, the scriptures of 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a widow there, and her husband dies, and apparently he has some debt. And so the creditors come, and they're going to take her two boys. Now, not only would that hurt as a mother, but that's like your life insurance policy. That's like your protection. She's got no way to earn money other than those two boys, and so she pleads with the man of God, Elijah, help. Maybe that's the situation here. Maybe there's a debt that's been left with her because of her husband, and maybe they were young, and, and so he didn't get to establish the estate and do all those things. And so now the creditors are coming, and maybe they're going to take her kids. Or maybe they're going to take more than they actually should be taking. Something's wrong here. Maybe they're asking for favors they shouldn't be asking for. But somebody's taken advantage of this widow. There's something that's just not right here. And it puts her on this passionate and very personal pursuit of justice. You ever look around at our world and think to yourself, things are just not right? There's something that's messed up about this place. I was reading some statistics this week that I want to share with you. I just want you to think about this is our world. And some of us, we just read these things or see these things on the news and we kind of move on and we get in our comfortable cars and we drive to our comfortable homes and we even get in our comfortable air mattresses or whatever kind of mattress you have. And we can turn a blind eye to this stuff. But listen to this. this is, these are U.S. stats. We know things have been tough in the U.S. for the last few, several years. There have been a lot of people that have filed bankruptcy. Did you know that almost half of all bankruptcies in the U.S. are from medical bills? 
and we think to ourselves, well, if everybody just had health insurance, right? Listen to this. 75% of those people that filed bankruptcy had health care. Something's not right. What's wrong here? The elderly, they used to suffer the most from domestic poverty. But now, according to the U.S. Census, 17.8% of American children, that's 13 million children, live in poverty. And see, it's easy to say with poverty, and you see people on the side of the road, they need to get a job. They can stand there. These are children. 13 million children. Something's not right. A 25-city study commissioned by the U.S. Conference of Mayors on Homelessness and Hunger found that an average of 30% of all the requests for emergency shelter, they're not asking for a handout, they just want a place to live, usually with a bunch of other people in a room. 30% of homeless people overall and 33% of requests by homeless families, so with children, alone are estimated to have gone unmet during the last year. And it's because we don't have enough money. But by the rest of the world's standards, we're incredibly rich. It says here that nearly 3 billion people, that's almost half of the world, live on less than $2 a day. This is kind of an outdated stat. I'm sure it's changed. But in 2005, we spent $600 million on ringtones for our phones. But we can't give people shelter? Something's wrong. Statistics say that conservatively, about 100 women who attend church here today will have been sexually abused by the time they're 31. Statistics say that one in ten men will have been raped. Something's wrong here. In 2003, over 900,000 children were found to be victims of abuse or neglect. Children. Every year, AIDS kills over 2 million people worldwide. That's more than 5,479 people per day, over 3.8 people per minute. That means that more than one person died from AIDS while I read this. Should I read it again? There's something wrong in this place. There's over 140 million orphans in our world. The majority of people that die today will die because they don't have clean drinking water and they have a disease from some not having ability to get clean clean drinking water. People are dying because they don't have enough food. There's something wrong with this place. And what's easy for us to do is to hear statistics and be a little uncomfortable right now, but then go home and eat lunch and take a nap, watch the game, and forget about it. But we're good people. I mean, we go to church, and some of us even tithe, and we serve in a ministry. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you tithe on mint and dill and cumin, and that's that you tithe above and beyond the expectations. That's not your income. That's just produce from your garden. You tithe on that stuff, but you've neglected justice and the love of God. See, you keep all the rules and do all the right stuff, but if you get the letter of the law and you miss the heart of what's taking place there, love God, love others, then, then how in the world can you claim to love God? First John says that you cannot. He says you should have done the former without neglecting the latter. Both are good. It's not bad for you to tithe, but it's really bad if you miss the love of God and justice. And this isn't new news to them. Micah, the prophet in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, said, this is what God requires of you. Oh, man, uh, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? That you would live justly, that you would love mercy, that you would walk humbly with your God. You don't have what you have because you've earned it. It's because God is gracious, and maybe there's a reason why he's given it to you. To live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Do you have a passionate pursuit of justice? Is it personal to you? 
It was for this woman in this text. And we don't understand exactly what's taking place here. We don't know what the injustice is. But there's something that drives her to keep going back to this judge, this jerk. Look at the passage. In verse 3. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. When you look at this in the Greek, this idea that she kept coming to him, it's in the imperfect tense. And what that is, and you can look it up, and you're probably not going to look up a Greek textbook. If you just Google it, you'll probably find what it says is the imperfect tense. A lot of times it paints a vivid picture, so it's like watching a movie. But it's the tense where something just keeps the same thing happening over and over and over. It's a repeated action. It's like watching Groundhog's Day. And so this woman, she comes, and she pleads, give me justice. And he probably, she probably gets the handlers the first time. Excuse me, woman, how's your case going to be heard? Do you have anything for us? Please leave. And she comes back. Maybe she goes and experiences more abuse or another night without any food. And then she comes back the next day. Grant me justice. And for some time, it says in verse 4, for some time he refused. He wouldn't even listen to her. But finally, we get a glimpse into the, the life of this jerk. But finally, he said to himself, now, <laughs> think about this, and I think, the guy's listening to people's problems all day. You got this widow outside that's yelling at you. Maybe he's starting to go crazy. Maybe she just keeps asking. Like, I don't know, moms, have you ever had your kids that keep asking, can I have a snack? Can I watch a movie? Can I have some gum? You know, just keep asking. Can I have some bubble gum? And you start to talk to yourself. The guy said to himself, you know, if I just gave you some gum, your mouth would stick shut. I wouldn't have to listen to this. Whatever you say to yourself at that moment. This guy says to himself, and what's happening is Jesus has given us a glimpse into his mind. And he's so self-centered, he's still not concerned about her needs. Look at what happens next. Even though I don't fear God or care about men. Now, who says that about themselves? No, I'm a total jerk. Even though I don't fear God and I don't care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she's so annoying, I will see that she gets justice so that, here's the reason, she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. She's bothering me so much, I'm going to make my life easier. I'm going to finally give her justice. So she doesn't wear me out with her coming. Now, literally in Greek, that phrase actually means that she doesn't give me a black eye. (laughs) That's kind of fun to think about for a minute, isn't it? When you think about this guy, you think about maybe she's like 15, you know, just gives him a black eye. Not exactly what's being said here. It's that I don't get so worn down that I just want to give up. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give her what she wants. I'm going to give her her justice. And then Jesus interjects. And remember, he's speaking to his disciples. These 12 closest friends that it just seems so wrong to them that Jesus isn't going to fix all of their problems right now and it's not going to work out the way that they want it to. And they're bothered by the fact that this is his first coming. They don't know when his second coming is going to be there. And they're sitting out, and I imagine they're kind of sitting out on the back deck and they're hanging out with Jesus and they're doing what you do when you hang out with your friends. He tells a story, but he tells a story with a purpose. And now he's going to tell them why he tells this story. Look at verse 6. He gets into the nitty-gritty of teaching in this passage. He says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. So here he's called an unjust, unrighteous judge. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Listen to what the unjust judge says. And you know what this guy's like. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't fear God. And what some people will do is they'll teach this passage like, so you should do the same thing with God. Keep praying. It says in verse 1 that you wouldn't quit praying. So keep praying and maybe you'll annoy him enough that he'll give you what you want. Maybe you'll wear God out. <laughs> He's eternal and he doesn't sleep, but maybe you'll wear him out. That doesn't make any sense. What Jesus is doing here is he's setting up a contrast, not a comparison. It's not that how much is God like this unjust judge. The reality is he's so different. And think about it. The unjust judge is unrighteous. He doesn't love God. He doesn't care about people. 
God loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. If you want to have your case heard before this guy, you've got to give him a bribe. God's the one who's given so that you can come to his presence. This guy sits in a courtroom, a law room, or he condemns people. And God sits on a throne of grace, we're told, in the book of Hebrews. If you look, what you see is that this guy is a jerk. God is a compassionate and loving God who longs to hear from you. If you start to look at this, what you end up seeing, I didn't realize until I started to read Warren Wearsby this week, he contrasts the widow too with us. Think about how different the widow is than us. She's a stranger. We're his children. She's, she's got no ability to come into his presence. We continually can come into his presence. She's got no husband. She's got no family. We've got an advocate. He's our high priest. It's Jesus Christ who speaks on our behalf. We've got a spirit who intercedes for us when we don't even have words to pray to God because the injustice is so heavy. You see, it's so different here. God wants to hear from you. You're his chosen ones. And if you read through the scriptures, what you see is that his special people, they have a special anointing, they have a special relationship. In the Old Testament, Israel. In the New Testament, those who bow their knee to Jesus Christ. There is chosen people. They've got direct access. You don't need a priest. You are a priest. We've all got direct access into God's presence, into his gracious presence. And it's because he's just, he's, allowed, he's able to let you through Jesus Christ come into his presence. Think about the ultimate injustice that Jesus, who was God, died. He had to pay for our sins, but it was so that God could remain just and righteous and holy and loving and gracious and merciful and have a relationship with you. And he chose you for that relationship. This woman, she's just an annoyance. This judge didn't choose her. She just won't go away. It's the only thing she has is her perseverance and her persistence. And how much more if we continue to come before God, will he hear our cries? We're his children. We're his chosen ones. He chose us, but not only chose us for salvation, he also chose us for service. Did you get that? He didn't just choose us for salvation. There's a reason why he left us here on this earth. There's a reason why. things that He could just wave his hand and everything could be better, but he's got a different plan than us. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He says that we're God's workmanship, his work of art, a mosaic of weaving together all the good and the bad and all the stuff that's in our lives and all of our experiences to make us a perfect work of art for his glory. And the way that that's expressed is through the good works that he's prepared for us to do in advance. He's predestined. They've been planned before you ever were for you to do. And it's easy to hear statistics like there's 140 million orphans or 30,000 people died or there's all these different things that I can share with you and the poverty and 13 million children and AIDS and all the people and the people are dying while I'm speaking this message. And I haven't even mentioned stuff like human trafficking. I haven't even mentioned stuff like crime. I haven't even mentioned some of those things. But you can hear all that stuff and get overwhelmed and think, what can I do? What difference does it make? And I was thinking about that question this week and reminded when I was in the hospital with Shanna, she had fallen asleep, taken a nap, and I was watching this justice conference online. It was a big part of it. It's an organization that's here in town, World Relief, and I was just looking into them and ended up getting to this link, and, and I heard this guy speaking, and he was talking about a friend of his named Dave Rogers who, who runs a ministry called Operation Rescue that rescues women out of prostitution, and he was doing a radio interview, and the host of the radio show said, Dave, uh, do you think that your ministry really makes a difference? Because the truth is, every time you rescue a woman out of prostitution, isn't it true that statistically another woman enters into prostitution? And Dave couldn't refute that. I mean, the facts are the facts. And he said, 
Uh, yes, it's, most of the cases, it's true. That every time we rescue someone, there's another woman that enters into prostitution. And then in a very condescending way, he says, then, then how do you think you're making a difference? And he said, I can't answer that question. I'm not qualified. And the radio host got irritated. And he started to speak to him. He said, you're the leader of this organization. If you can't answer this question, what, what are you doing? And he said, if you want to know whether we're making a difference, you need to ask the girl that we just rescued from prostitution whether we're making a difference. And you can hear statistics, and you might think to yourself, as you get cold to the statistics, what can I do? But there's 140 million orphans. Can you help one? There's thousands of people in our city that don't have shoes. There's thousands of people in our city that don't have a place to sleep tonight. Could you buy one lunch? I mean, can you visit an elderly person? Can you help somebody? Maybe God knew what he was doing when he made you. Maybe God really did plan good works for you to do. Maybe your life isn't just about you. Because my daughter the other day just, well, choices that we can make in life. And, and in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that we as human beings were created in his image. So think about what that means to us. We were created to bring him glory. We're supposed to reflect his image and what he loves should be what we love. But we know we're messed up and we're in this messed up place and we've got divided affections and sometimes we love God and sometimes we love other things. But what were we created for? What do you think those good works are? And do you think that God made a mistake when he had you live in this century? At this time, in this city? Do you think it was a mistake that you're in this theater hearing these words today? Maybe he knew what he was doing. Maybe he knew what he was doing giving you your job or your position at school or whatever it is is your role in the society or your children or whatever it is that you do. Maybe he knew. Maybe he knew that he'd speak to your heart the way he's speaking to your heart right now. Maybe there's a plan. And maybe it's bigger than anything you could imagine. Maybe it only impacts one life. But he's prepared Good works for you as his chosen, who he chose so much he wanted a relationship with, but he also wants to use for the purpose that you were designed for, that you were made for. And it happens on this passionate pursuit of justice that's incredibly personal. But here's the thing with the pursuit of justice. Any real pursuit of justice is actually a pursuit of the just judge. You see, anything else, if you just go and feed people, that's nice. It's philanthropic. That's a nice educated word to use. It's humanitarianism. Now think about what that is. At the heart of it, it's putting humans at the center. And usually when we think about injustice, we think about those children that are starving, or we think about the people that are dying of AIDS, and we think about the people that don't have parents, and so they're forced into prostitution, or they're forced into dealing drugs, or there's all those things. We think about these people, and we put the person at the center. The ultimate injustice is that we've sinned against a holy God. And the ultimate injustice would be to feed one of those people that are hungry and let them still go to hell. You see, our pursuit of justice is ultimately a pursuit of the just judge, the one, the only one that can meet our real need. Those are our opportunities to feed people and to adopt people and to care for people and to put shoes on people and to give homes to people. Those are opportunities to demonstrate that God loves each one of us. Regardless of our position in life, regardless of our jobs, regardless of our roles, regardless of our gender, regardless of our race, regardless of our backgrounds, he loves us. And he's chosen us to be his children. And we demonstrate that love and we demonstrate his character because we are made in his image. And ultimately what we're on is a pursuit of the just judge, not just justice for justice sake. And that's what you see in this passage. He says you're chosen, so you're in this relationship. And it says there in verse 7 that he hears our cries. 
And so the reason why we cry out to him over and over again, it's not to annoy him, it's not to persuade him, it's not to get our way, it's because the things that we're praying to him are so on our heart. It's not even that we continually keep praying the same prayer over and over again. It's our heart that's expressed to him without words when the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings and moanings throughout life. It's, when I read this passage, it's like what the people in Egypt experienced. In the book of Exodus, it's the first thing I thought of when I read this passage last week. I thought, it reminds me of the Israelites. And remember what happened with the Israelites? There's the whole story with Joseph, and that brings the people to Egypt, and then they're in Egypt, but then they get put in bondage. They're in slavery, and they cry out to God. And some of you have been crying out to God for maybe bondage. Maybe you're, you've got, like we talk about for Celebrate Recovery, hurt habit, hang up, and you're trying to get that worked out. You've been going on Thursday night, and you're dealing with some of your issues. Or maybe some of you even crying out to God to save someone, save a sibling, uh, save a spouse, save someone. You want them to come into the kingdom because maybe you trusted Christ a year ago yourself. And your heart now is for that other person. You've been praying for a year. You've been praying for something. You've been crying out maybe for two years, maybe for 10 years. Do you know how long the Israelites were in bondage? 400 years. That means if you're praying to God to free me from this bondage, this slavery, you think to yourself one day maybe my great-great-grandpa prayed this prayer. And my father prayed this prayer. And his father prayed this prayer. And his father prayed this prayer. God, are you listening? I mean, do you even care about this? Am I praying the wrong thing? Maybe you might think to yourself, am I praying the wrong way? Like, is there a different thing I'm supposed to do? What's the method? Or are you, not just, you just not care? And then you see in Exodus chapter 3 that God begins to speak audibly to Moses through a burning bush. And look at what he says. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen, not just heard, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. That means he's seen every abuse by the slave drivers. All the words that have been said. He's seen the rape. He's seen the physical abuse. He saw it. He was there. And I've heard their cries. I've heard them crying out to me because they're slave drivers. And it's not just that he knows facts. Look at the next part. His heart breaks. I'm concerned about their suffering. Then look at verse 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, but it's been 400 years. And to bring them up out of, the, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, and all those hard names. I'm going to give them something better. I've heard the cry. He was there the whole time, and he hears our cry too. But 400 years? And then you look at this passage, and he says, he, he listens to the cries of his chosen ones, and this says, will he keep putting him off? So have you been putting us off? And then verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice in the Greek. It's very emphatic. It's a promise. I guarantee that those who cry out will be vindicated. And then the last part puzzles me, and quickly. Now, I don't know if you're a Bible scholar or not. You can figure out Jesus said this during his first coming. And we're standing here, and there still hasn't been a second coming. How long ago was this? About 2,000 years. Quickly. I start thinking about that. I get impatient with the microwave, okay? I, I, get, I get bothered when I go grocery shopping and I have 21 items and it says 20 items or less, express lanes. Like, I want to go through that lane just because it says express on it. I don't know if it's any faster. I might convince myself, that's two for one. We can get like one item, you know, slide it in there, whatever. But I'm impatient. I went to the driver's, the DMV the other day to renew my driver's license. I left because there was a line. <laughs> I'm not very patient with things. So quickly to me, I think it's a little different than quickly 2,000 years. 
But then you go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, and it says, For the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So I did the math in my office real quick, and so 2,000 years is like two days. Still a long time for me, but I pay extra for shipping for some. Anyway, it's two days. So it's only been like two days to him. But still, it's two days of the suffering, and you're just, and why do you let this happen? But you continue to read in 2 Peter chapter 3. And look at what he says. His time frame's not only different than ours, but his plan is. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, Peter says, to believers. So he's got a plan in our lives for us to be here too. For one, if he had come back in two days in our time frame, we wouldn't even exist. But also, you read James chapter 1, and it says, Rejoice in your trials, because your trials produce perseverance. Your perseverance produces maturity, so that you would be complete, not lacking anything. God's doing a work in you, and he's promised to complete that work, and he will be faithful to complete that work. And so he's doing a work in the lives of the believer. But then also, look at the non-believer. He's not only patient with you, but he's not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He desires to have more of his children in his presence. And then Peter goes on to talk about what it's going to be like. But, contrast, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll be quick. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Things should be different, shouldn't they? You should, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat in verse 13. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteousness, the home of righteousness. We're seen righteous because the justice of God that happened on the cross so that we are his chosen people and can come before him and live for his glory. And then one day we'll go to a place where nobody dies of AIDS and there's no cancer and there's no job promises that you thought were going to come true, and then all of a sudden the ends are not there for you, and there won't be any rape, and there won't be any abuse, and there aren't going to be those words that cut to our soul. He's going to wipe away every tear, and there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. But in the meantime, we're here. He says, pray continually. Pursue me. Pursue my character, and I've got a plan for you. And that plan consists of you doing certain works that I predetermined for you. See, I loved you so much. I've laid it all out and I want you to live this life and that's the only way you're truly going to get what you're actually pursuing anyway. So will you pursue me? Will you pursue justice? See, we're all on these pursuits. What pursuit are you on? Is it the pursuit that God desires for you? See, if you're his child, he hears your cry. What are you crying out to him for? And because he hears our cry, what we're going to do here today is this. We're going to cry out corporately to God together. And we're just going to come before him, and the worship team is going to come. They can start to come even now. And the worship team is going to come. They're going to play some music, but we're going to cry out to God together. And that might mean for you, you might have an injustice in your own life that hasn't been reconciled. The wounds are still there, and you need to talk to God about that. And for some of us, we start hearing these things. What is God speaking to your heart about? What does he want you to do, not just know? And so what's going to happen is there are going to be some statistics on the screen. There's going to be some verses on the screen just for your time of reflection as you're praying and talking to God. And we're just going to cry out to our Father as His chosen ones, as His children who have given every spiritual blessing. We don't come in poverty. We come with promises and we come with real truth that's transformed our hearts and our lives. And so we come before our Father together today. Now let's pray.